Welcome to Always Andersonville, the podcast. I'm Laura. And I'm Sarah. Today, we are joined by Joey Cranford, co-owner and CEO of Chicago Magic Lounge, where the main attraction is the magic and can be experienced at three different spaces throughout the venue. At the front bar, in the 120-seat main cabaret-style theater, and the more intimate 43-seat 654 Club. Chicago Magic Lounge is located at 5050 North Clark Street in Andersonville and is open for magic, signature cocktails, and small bites seven days a week. Welcome, Joey. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you. Good. So spring slash summer weather has just magically appeared in Chicago. Did you have anything to do with that? You're welcome. Oh, good. Good to know. So, Joey, you grew up in Texas, but you eventually made... We're not made... supposed to talk about oh, that. Oh, okay. No, okay. <laughs> You're revealing my secrets. But you eventually made your way to Chicago mm-hmm. to train with the Second City Improv Olympic and Annoyance Theater. You've acted in shows. We're just going to do a quick little You've shout done your out homework. to you. You've acted in shows and movies like Chicago Fire, Better Call Saul, and Man of Steel, to name a few. And you also have a background in the hotel and bus tour industry. So... Talk about some of those things, but really, how did you get your start in magic? Holy cow, that's a big open uh, book right there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I grew up a theater kid. I was in third grade. I was in a play. I was in a musical. Um, and uh, I stayed doing that throughout school. It kept me interested in school, kept my grades up because it was the no pass, no play rule of football, but in plays as well. So um, I wanted to stay involved in theater. So uh, I just did that in high school. And then I wanted to go to college, didn't know what I was going to do, found out I could just go to college for theater, um, did that, uh, transferred around a bunch, um, finding the right fit for me. Um, I always felt like if I'm getting cast in plays at a small university, then my university is not big enough. I need to go to a bigger one because obviously they've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> <laughs> and so then I kept going to bigger departments and bigger departments just to test my own skill level. If I'm still getting cast and I'm at one of the best theater schools in Texas, well, then I've got to get out of Texas. And so, or in somewhere, <laughs> not to be mentioned. <laughs> um, and then as, as I left uh, Texas, I came to Chicago. Um, I did a brief stint in L.A. for a little while studying improv out there. Um, and then when I came to Chicago, it was basically my grad school. I treated Second City like my grad school, went to their conservatory. Um, and um, yeah, from there, just got involved in all of the improv stuff. Um, my theater background uh, really helped me just in a performance level. Um, for doing that kind of stuff, uh, but I liked improv because I didn't have to rem- remember a script. And uh, then I started doing that on the road. I did that for a living. Um, I, I got cast in a show that traveled um, for three years all over the country. Uh, that was a great time in my life. Um, got to uh, see the entire country with four other dudes in a van uh, just traveling around. Wow. And um, then that uh, transitioned transitioned into working as a promotional MC for Ford Motor Company. Uh, a lot of the same guys I traveled with, we all got gigs together so we could all stay together again. Uh, we, we'd stopped traveling in vans and then we started flying everywhere. And by that point, I had been to about 48 states in five years. And um, you know, while that became my living, I started looking for other things. So I kind of have this, this mindset of if your hobby becomes your job, you need another hobby. And um, so I started juggling, you know, I was like, I'll try this. I started, I found some juggling clubs in Chicago. Those guys that used to juggle up on uh, Lake Michigan, you know, you'd see them driving by and they're just throwing eight to 10 things in the air. 
Um, I found out where they hung out and realized jugglers are weird people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where do they hang out? Uh, there's, it's actually here in Uptown. There's a, um, there's a small little community center at um, Sheridan and uh, Lawrence. Mm. And it's got a lot of uh, tiled-in artwork. Um, but uh, there's a place in there that uh, has, a, has a club for jugglers. It's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, I think that's Alternatives yeah, building. Yeah, and yeah. yeah, it's a beautiful space. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I, I did that for a little while. It wasn't really my scene. Um, but uh, then I, I just I randomly came uh, by this magic thing. Um, if you want the story, I'll tell it to you. It's kind of funny. If you no, we don't want any stories. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so magic, man. Um, you know, I never, I never said the word magic in a sentence. I never talked about magic. I'd never seen a live magician until I was about thirty years old. Um, you know, I uh, my dad took me to see Lance Burton when I was like thirty-two. You know, it's like, it's just a late bug kind of thing. Um, my friend had a magician at his wedding, and I thought that was pretty cool. Um, but um, where it really came from was a joke. Um, it was my wife and I um, had a bit at Walgreens. So we'd go to Walgreens, and we'd be on the, you know, looking for toothpaste, looking for, you know, your, your whatever you're, you go to Walgreens for, toilet paper usually. And we would pass by the toy aisle, and I collect, Superman action figures, um, completely unrelated from the Man of Steel thing, <laughs> but um, and I uh, and and you'd pass by there, and there was a there was a magic set at Walgreens, and it was a Chris Angel magic set. Now every magician has his jokes about Chris Angel, you know, but this wasn't about Chris Angel. It was more about the slogan on the box. It said a two hundred and fifty dollar value for twenty nine ninety five. And wow. I know what that's, a deal. A, that's a great deal. It's, it's wholesale. So we were like, well, what if we opened this box up and sold it for pieces out of the trunk of our car? You know, we just buy 10 of these magic kits and then sell them for pieces and we would make a fortune. That's our retirement. You know, so we we passed it up that one time. And then we saw it again. We're like, why are we passing up our retirement? We have a fortune here. We're just going to walk away. We're just going to walk away from our retirement. And it just became this running gag that we would do every time we were in Walgreens. It's like, okay, if you want to pass by your fortune, that's fine. I mean, we could buy it now, but okay, whatever. And uh, it just became this running gag until uh, Christmas came. And I had this weird box under the Christmas tree, and it shook a lot. And I opened it Christmas morning, and this little boy was so happy he cried that he got his first magic set. <laughs> she was basically completing the bit, you know? It was like a joke that had gone far enough that one of it, we had to own it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I thought it was so funny. And then I opened it Christmas up. Christmas miracle. It was. Mm -hmm. It was. And I opened it up, and some of the things, you know, you see in there, you're like, okay, yeah, I, this is an old gag. I've seen this before. But um, the cards that it came with, the Chris Angel Mind Freak deck, mm. uh, those cards have a certain trick to them. Uh, I had never seen that trick before, and I fooled every one of my friends, and I loved it. Problem is, you can only do the trick once for the same person. Or get more friends, right? Yeah, Yeah, and, and I can't do that. I'm an right. old man at this point. Right. So. You can learn magic at 35. Yeah, yeah. Right. if you're getting friends, Who that's a harder trick. And that's a harder trick. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I... Uh, so I found uh, a magic shop that was nearby, and I could get that Chris Angel Mind Freak deck. You have to say it like that. It's trademarked. And so I got, uh, I got two of those decks of cards that look like regular cards, 
And uh, then I could do it twice because I got two sets of them. And then I was like, okay, I'm bored with this now. I want to learn real magic. I want to learn real sleight of hands. I want to learn a real sleight of hand work. I want to work with cards, and I want to do the real stuff. And so I, um, I just was focusing on that, reading a lot of books and watching a lot of DVDs. Uh, we found uh, Magic Incorporated, which is the oldest family-owned brick-and-mortar magic shop in the country. Uh, it's still here in Chicago. And uh, went there, uh, met a lot of magicians, and uh, started kind of... Um, working my way into that little tribe, that little community. And I found um, that there was so much potential in, uh, in that art form. And uh, so I just kind of became uh, a part of the magic community. All for $29.99 at Walgreens. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's kind of the funny thing, because we talk about how far this joke has gone um, and talk about our retirement that right. we did walk away from. Right. I own a 7,200-square-foot magic palace you know this thing is huge three magic rooms and all this and uh and it all started with a with a joke um when we were pouring concrete under my office i have a chris angel joker from that set from that that deck of cards and i put it in the concrete under my window and today actually before i i came over i picked up um kind of the last piece of this big puzzle um, my entertainment director, uh, who works with us, his name is Benjamin Barnes. He's been part of the magic community uh, for a very long time in Chicago, and his his stretch is uh, global. And um, on opening day, he presented me with a picture that I just got framed from Four Sided. Very happy. That was a little plug for Todd. <laughs> and uh, it is a mind freak poster of Chris Angel, signed by Chris Angel to Joey Cranford. Good luck with the magic lounge. <laughs> That's amazing. So prior to opening uh, the Chicago Magic Lounge space on Clark, you performed out of Uptown Underground. What made you decide to open the Magic Lounge in Andersonville? And can you tell us a little bit more about that experience? Sure. Um, so the show was just a, a concept that I had. I'd been reading a lot about magic bars and being a, a tour guide. I'm in love with Chicago history. And uh, when I found a way to include history and this this, uh, this a magic show uh, together in one, I, I, I was like, ah, this will be incredible. So the whole thing was just, you know, a, a concept that I built um, around the same time that I was directing a magic show. We were just going from venue to venue, and my friends opened uh, Uptown Underground. They were looking for a Thursday night show. I had this concept. It just was the perfect timing. And so we did that show there. Now, we went into that knowing that this could be so much more. Um, we, had a, we had a concept. I had a vision that um, Chicago needs another magic bar. This is all based off of a book that I was reading at the time. It's called Now You See Them, Now You Don't, My Life in the Magic Bars of Chicago, written by Bill Weimer. And the very last page says, uh, what's next? Maybe someone else will come along and open one up for the next generation. Um, a lot of people don't understand the show business side of it, uh, but maybe a business person will come along with the show idea and bring this all into reality. And I felt it was kind of like a, a call to action for me. I read that and I was like, I'll do that. And um, so the vision was always there to do more. And so the first uh, iteration was only on Thursdays, and then we grew into Thursdays and Saturdays. And honestly, at that point, we were just looking at 
blocking out the weekend. I wanted to talk to the owners of that and say, can I do it Thursday, Friday, and Saturday? You can do the, the Kiss Kiss Cabaret show uh, after us on Fridays and Saturdays, and uh, they were going to end up taking Wednesdays, Fridays, Saturdays. We were going to do Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, but that was like in the works. We were trying to, I was trying to convince the owners that this would be a cool thing. Um, but um, at that same time, I got approached by um, my partner now, uh, Don Clark, uh, Donald C. Clark Jr. Um, after one of the shows, uh, he came up to me and said, um, I really like this, uh, this concept. Do you want to talk a little bit more about uh, where you want to go with this? And I said, absolutely. So we took a lunch, and uh, that, uh, that lunch ended up becoming a, um, uh, a pretty big thing. You know, we, we created that partnership almost immediately. Uh, the elevator pitch turned into a long-term goal. Um, with strategy, five years, and um, we tried a couple of little uh, investment projects, um, just kind of throwing pebbles into the water to see the ripple effect, and then we um, then we threw the stone in, which was opening this. And tell us about the process of choosing Andersonville or finding the building in Andersonville. Oh, and so I've I've been an Andersonville resident for about twelve years. Um, we call it Andersonville adjacent. We're at Lawrence and Ashland, but uh, this is our, our neighborhood. This is my community. You know, I, I, I get my hair cut here. I buy my shoes from Alamo. You know, I've got radios in my office now from Transistor. Get my wall framed from Foresighted. I do everything here. Um, and so we used to walk by this old building um, whenever we'd walk towards the heart of Andersonville and uh, just past all the mechanic shops. And w- there was this one building that had just so much mystery built into it. It had those, um, you know, translucent blocks of glass. You can't really see through it. You can only see, like, kind of light coming through. It had vents coming through, and this aroma of fresh linen would come out of it, you know. And uh, that was the, uh, the laundry, a commercial laundry in there. And it just had so much mystery. We never saw anyone go in. We never saw anyone come out. It was kind of like Willy Wonka of, of laundries. And so we were, we were just amazed by it. It just had mystery in it. And so when we were looking for a place... Um, it kind of made sense. Like I knew that this building had mystery, not just to me, but for the entire neighborhood. Um, to be able to open these doors to this giant building, 6,000 square foot footprint, um, to open the doors of that to the community would be pretty cool as well because I, I knew I wasn't the only one who felt that it had it's, it, uh, a mystique to it. Um, we looked at a, at a couple of other places too um, in Andersonville. There's about three spaces we were interested in, um, but uh, but that one gave us everything we need. Just a... Um, just walls, you know, we gutted that thing to a, to just the, a shell. It was pretty cool. In the space, in addition to experiencing magic and Chicago style magic, the space really wows people. And especially after, um, you know, people probably scratching their heads about that space for so many years. And so the Art Deco speakeasy design of the space, it's not only warm and inviting, but it's exquisite. Can you tell us about the design and where some of the art and decor came from? Sure. Where we were at the Uptown Underground, it was all Victorian-era design. Um, it was a true speakeasy in that sense. Um, but if you look at the history of the magic bars, the first magic bar opened in 1936. So it happened after Prohibition, mm-hmm. and we wanted to speak to that world. Um, Art Deco became a thing in, uh, in the country around 1929. It was basically celebrating the fact that Prohibition was over. It is the glitz, the glamour of Hollywood at that time. It was like America just kind of waking up and, and coming to life again and celebrating all things nightlife-wise. You know, jazz was big at that era, and the glitz and glam of, of nightlife really was kind of taking off. So pair that with 
the birth of the Magic Bar in Chicago. It just made sense for us to say, uh, we're coming out of this Victorian era. We're coming, literally, we are coming out of a basement, almost speakeasy style in real life. Um, and the next, the next place for us to go is that 30s era, Art Deco. Uh, my partner loves Art Deco as well. So we, we tied it into the whole kind of mission of, of the Chicago Magic Lounge. Uh, it's kind of fun, too, because if you look at the walls, all the artwork is Victorian era artwork. It's, um, it, it's all the magicians of the great illusion era, Blackstone and Thurston and Keller and Chung Ling Su and Houdini and all the people that were playing these grand stages in the 1900s to the 1920s. And um, so it's, it's kind of got this juxtaposition to it that we're, you know, Chicago magic was formed out of those that era of magic out of the grand illusion this grand stage magic brought into the bars in the 30s and so it's kind of cool if you if you get that uh, theme as you walk through the walls are designed with victorian era of the grand illusions past but we are taking it a step further going into the 30s into art deco with what chicago did uh, with bar magic so there is the word misdirection illuminated on the ceiling of the entryway. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about what that word means to you and the importance of it in magic? Sure. Uh, I mean, misdirection is, is simply the, the real secret behind magic. Um, obviously, we don't live in a Harry Potter universe. So, you know, we know that there isn't real magic happening. Um, but we want you to get as close to that as humanly possible, that feeling that something did vanish, that something did appear out of nowhere, that, um, that things are happening that are beyond our control, you know, beyond the control of the universe and all that. And the easiest way to do that is by going, hey, look over here. Uh, and that, you know, misdirection is getting you to make eye contact with the magician so that you're not focused on how the trick is done. And if you follow the lead in that misdirection, you'll just have magic happen to you. And a lot of people who want to... Uh, what they call burn the hands of the magician and stare and try to figure out how the trick is done. They're trying to break that illusion. They're trying to see how the magician is accomplishing it. And the beautiful part about misdirection is we know that's going to happen. We know where you're looking because we've probably directed you to look there. And you're like, I was watching his hands the whole time. <laughs> he didn't do it with his hands, you know? Um, so misdirection is basically, you know, trying to get you to focus on what we need you to focus on so that you can experience real magic. That's beautiful. Tell us a little bit about what one might experience during an evening at Chicago Magic Lounge. Oh, man. There are so many different experience levels. Um, we wanted to build it so that you could engage with the space as much as you wanted to. So it's got um, kind of like an onion peel effect. Um, right when you walk in and you do see that misdirection sign, we want to get you completely off balance, and that's where the laundry comes in. Uh, we do have a speakeasy fake laundry entrance. The sign is a laundry sign um, because we think that's, that's key. We want you to, to be thrown off not knowing where anything is coming, not knowing where to look for anything from the moment you walk in. So that bit of misdirection actually built into the entrance is important for us to help build your experience. Um, so once you come through the laundry, you can hang out at the Magic Bar. It's a, a small, it's a, about a capacity of about 40 people. 
um, and it's a custom bar built for magic. So there are bartenders there and a magician that works behind that bar. And you're invited to come up, belly up to the bar, and step right up to where the performer is. And it's a one-of-a-kind bar. It actually has a performance bar built into it, meaning kind of like a poker table built into the center of the bar. And so you can get right up close and personal, watch that bar, watch the uh, magician, have some great cocktails, get some light snacks, and um, that can be your evening. Or you can get a ticket by going online and, and purchasing a night of, uh, of, of magical entertainment, whatever that is. Um, and uh, then you go through a second secret entrance through our magician's library. And once you're into that area, then you're seeing kind of the, uh, the close-up magic at your table. Uh, that's part of every show that we do. And then you will see the stage uh, performance, whether that's live jazz on Mondays and Tuesdays, whether it's a one-man show on Wednesdays with David Parr, or whether that's our signature show, which is um, you know a lot of table magic and then two magicians that rotate through um, Chicago, um, maybe some local guys, maybe some out-of-towners. Um, and then after that, you can go back out towards the bar, or you could have uh, purchased the uh, the additional ticket that comes with the 654 uh, additional um, performance. So then you go back into a third room, 43-seat theater. This is a beautiful, small theater. Rooms like this are built for magic. Uh, well, I mean, our entire place is built for magic, but it's hard to find a, a close-up room like this. It's um, custom, like, tiered seats, uh, uh, wonderful uh, seats from from Italy. If you sit in them, they're great. Um, and it and it looks down at a magician's table, and then there's a performance there lasts about thirty minutes. So a night you could see one magician and call it a night, or you could go all in with us and see about nine magicians um, throughout the night on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So we've experienced Laura and I how what this has meant to the community and to Andersonville opening of Chicago Magic Lounge and kind of the vitalization of this building at 5050 North Clark. What has it meant to the community, the magic community? Have you had an experience where somebody has come in and maybe they're a magician, maybe they have a personal connection with magic and you know what has that experience been like to open this up for that, those people in that community? It's um it's it's really our second mission statement. Uh, first one was we wanted to reintroduce um, Chicago-style magic to people who don't know what Chicago-style magic is. We wanted to reintroduce that brand. The second part was to build a community for magicians. We're more supporting the art, lifting magic up uh, rather than just our show and build a clubhouse for them. And it's all dedicated to an art form that they got into when they were a child. They didn't know anyone else who did it, and they stayed in, in their bedroom and read these books and tried secretly to learn all these things. And so to have a community that, uh, that supports them is, um, is, is really important. So maybe you could sum up in like one sentence, uh, why do you think the world needs magic? <laughs> oh, man. Like a little sound bite. Yeah, um, the world we live in right now is full of all kinds of crazy things, and we're just aching for a little misdirection. I like that. Well, thank you, Joy, for being here, and thank you for listening to Always Andersonville, the podcast. For more information about Chicago Magic Lounge and to purchase tickets for a show, please visit chicagomagiclounge.com. You can also check out Joey's acting credentials at imbd.com. Show notes and more information can be found at andersonville.org. 
Always Andersonville, the podcast, is engineered and edited by Andy Miles in Studio C at Transistor, a gallery, shop, performance, recording, and teaching space located at 5224 North Clark Street. Have your own podcast idea? The studio is available to rent. Please call 872-208-5877 or stop by the store for details.